0: Hi, and welcome to Drawing Inspiration. I am your host, Mike Hendley. Episode 46, Space Jellyfish, Journaling, and the Value of Mentors, with artist Kina Forney. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the show. I've had a pretty busy couple of weeks, so I'm going to go through a few updates, and then uh, we'll get right into my interview with uh, Kina Forney. I wanted to uh, lead in with something here, which I'm pretty excited about. So I've talked in the past about a company called Elegant Utility, they're actually based out of Long Island, New York. I've purchased a couple of, the, of their uh, pencil extenders, and these are wonderful bits of machined brass that hold your pencil as it gets too short <laughs> and maintains that kind of weight and feel. And I, so I have two of their pencil extenders, one for colored pencil and one for graphite, and we follow each other on Instagram, and they follow the podcast, and so we've had a conversation back and forth. And through that conversation... We got to a point where it was like uh, we kind of thought maybe we should do something fun for the listeners of the show. And so Olga and Michael reached out and uh, we went into a bit of detail as to how to figure this out so that we can do something for the listeners that would make it more fun, something they could get back. So in speaking with Olga and Michael at Elegant Utility, we decided to put together this little promo. And so the promo is $5 off their regular pencil companion hex. pencil extender the promo code is mike podcast no spaces and this is only until february 20th it gives you five dollars off the regular pencil companion hex uh, pencil extender so i have a link directly to that in the show notes and this is the one i have i love it i think it's uh, a fantastic tool if you do a lot of graphite drawing with wooden pencils you're going to find this helpful in trying to maintain the weight and the length of your pencil i just wanted to thank olga and michael working with me on this. I think it's uh, it's a fun collaboration and uh, they're a great, uh, a great couple to deal with. So um, thank you, Elegant Utility, for uh, providing this promo for the listeners of the show. The other thing I did in the last week or so is I launched my first newsletter. I've been playing with this idea for some time. And you know, it's one of those things you want to get it perfect, but sometimes uh, done is better than perfect. And I'm really happy. It launched uh, a week ago. I've had really good feedback. So the newsletter is a compilation of the podcasts I've done recently, as well as uh, an article or two and some other thoughts I have about art and inspiration. Some of it's going to be kind of behind the scenes of some of the stuff that I'm doing, both in art and the podcast. I, I just want to be able to tell a different story. So I'm going to be putting in some longer form articles and I'm still kind of tweaking the format and the content, but I'm really happy with the first edition. So the next one will be coming out at the end of uh, February. And if you are interested in the newsletter, you can go to mikehendley.com or drawinginspiration.fm and you can subscribe to the newsletter there. I don't know where it's going to lead me, but I think kind of writing this stuff down, I'm trying to once again, you know, move my my kind of creative journey forward by documenting some of this and sharing what I've learned books i've read, uh, shows i've watched, things like that that i think um, you know, it's it's always good to to find someone to, to kind of build community and be able to find somebody who's similar to you to try and figure out, you know, oh, i should i should do that or i should watch that or i should read that. And, you know, by by consuming that material, it helps to kind of shape your own future. Not that you want to follow someone else, but being able to, to kind of get access to that as a matter of a similar community is what I'm hoping to share with others. So check it out. It's, um, it's free. <laughs> and uh, I'll be talking about some of the art I'm creating. And in there, I also talk about opening my my shop and some of the prints I've put up. So that's been kind of fun. And the theme for the newsletter was dinosaurs the reason i go through a little bit of a story in the newsletter but the reason i kind of had to focus around dinosaurs is one of the pieces i did recently was just a sketch of a dinosaur now it's kind of a the dinosaur slash dragon what i did is i you know found some uh, free reference images online and i used that to uh, to draw this out and i really wanted to explore it uh, and i talk about it in the newsletter just because of my past with dinosaurs and drawing them and i really love textures right and When you're talking about lizards and dinosaurs and birds, there's tremendous textures kind of going on. So I wanted to play around with that. I'm really happy with the results. So I'll include a link to my Instagram posts on the dinosaur drawing if you want to take a look at it. But what I found really interesting is when I was posting this here and there online, I posted in Reddit and Instagram and uh, Facebook as well, is there's a lot of conversation about what dinosaurs really looked like. You know, the one that I created really isn't representative of, I think, current Thoughts about what dinosaurs look like. It's one of those situations, right? I can't go out tomorrow or this afternoon and go to take some photos of dinosaurs and think, "Ah, oh, I got it sorted out." Because there's a lot of, you know, how much, you know, how many feathers did they have? Where did the feathers sit? How did they look? Um, you know, we've got their bone structure, but we don't know how the, you know, the skin and the fat and how the eyes and everything. So it sent me down this rabbit hole of trying to explore. What is current kind of accepted theory and thought around what dinosaurs look like? And I think this is going to take me a little bit further. I think I'm going to explore some of the other types of dinosaurs and, and trying to understand what is accepted as, as uh, our thoughts as to what their texture look like, what their skin, what their mouth, um, their eyes and things like that. You know, did they have uh, round pupils? Did some have round pupils? Did others have, um, have like a vertical pupil, which is what I went with? And so I was trying to understand some of this, and I realize I I need to do a lot more research because I I would love to draw kind of fantasy versions, and I probably will do some of that. But I really want to do something that's accurate, and so I'm going to try and reach out to to a few people as well and find out what's right, and uh, try and replicate that. And this is going to be a bit of imagination, but kind of based on science. So anyways, I'm going to go down this route and see where it takes me, and I will post my work in my works in progress. I did that with a dinosaur, so if you actually want to see some of the works in progress, you can look at that. I've got some um, some of the work I did on the eye and the initial sketches, and so you can always take a look at that on my Instagram as well. So anyways, it was fun doing dinosaurs. I think uh, you'll see more of that from me. So I talked about uh, my shop going online, and so that's shop.mikehenley.com. And I've got some prints, some open edition prints in there. The uh, I'm still offering the 20% discount on any purchase. You can use the code GRANDOPENING with no spaces at checkout, and that'll give you 20% off uh, your order. And I'm going to be adding some more prints over the next week. Um, so that's going into February 8th to, I guess, the 15th in that week. I'll be adding some more. So if you're holding out, uh, check by the next weekend. And so like February 14th you will see some more uh, prints that I'm adding there as well. So so this is all leading up to a giveaway I'm planning for the next podcast. And you'll have to tune in for that. But I'm going to be doing a giveaway uh, through the podcast on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm going to be giving away some prints. I'm going to provide some instruction on that in the next podcast. So my guest this week is she's an early career artist, despite doing commissions since grade school. Her wonderful use of color and images from jellyfish to Space Nebula has appeared on canvases, clothing, wall, and ceiling murals, and even her own journal. Her regular Twitch streams reflect her incredible artistic skill in drawing and painting, which are delivered through thoughtful interactions with fans and followers. Her relatively recent status as a full-time artist provides some interesting lessons in considering what you are leaving behind, the value of mentorship, and the importance of remembering to be yourself. To talk about her creative journey... It is my pleasure to welcome to the Drawing Inspiration podcast, Kina Forney. Hi, Kina. How are you?
1: Hi, I'm great.
0: Thanks for coming on the podcast. I think you were quite uh, surprised when I asked you to come on.
1: Yeah, I was very surprised. This is my first podcast. I've done, um, I've done a radio interview for a, for a show, and then I did a one-on-one interview with another artist once for her website. But it wasn't quite a podcast. It was like a short little... Anyway, it's my first podcast. I'm a bit nervous.
0: The reason I wanted you to come on is because I think you know you're classically well, maybe "classically trained" is the wrong word, but you have a formal education around art. You've got an interesting history, and you're, you the diversity of the kind of the work that you're doing right now. I find compelling, but you're on places like Twitch, and you know you're posting stuff to Instagram. So I feel like you have an interesting story to tell, and I've watched your Twitch streams. You speak well, you interact with an audience that doesn't speak, (laughs) that types. Uh And I thought it would be good to hear from you at at your stage in your career right now and what you're doing and and how you got here. And so when it comes to art, was this always a love of yours? Um, Because you've had, and before we started recording here, uh, we talked about some of your other uh, interests through high school and that in, in music. But was art always with you through growing up as a kid?
1: Oh yeah, definitely. Art has been um, has been the main thing in my life ever since I can remember. It's, I think like arts and crafts in kindergarten. You know, have like really fond memories of making stuff. And my dad used to bring home these big like blueprints from his job, and I just remember coloring them in. And I was always that kid who drew in class. You know, hey, can you you know can you draw this for me? And or yeah, she's the one who can draw. You know, so. I was yeah. It definitely has been part of my life in every aspect since I was little.
0: And that was right through primary school into high school. Uh, at what point, like, did you get to a point where you thought I'm going to be an artist?
1: I don't think I ever didn't think that. Okay. Does that make sense? I it, I always like drew myself as an artist. I always thought of myself as an artist. I think um, I tried to in every point of my life as far as like as a child or as a teenager I always pictured that whatever I would do ha- would have something to do with art. I might do something else, but I knew that art would be part of it. So, yeah, like as early as um I guess like 4th or 5th grade, I guess that's when you turn. And my daughter's that age right now, so she's yeah, around like 10. And that's when you start thinking like a little bit outside yourself and I started seeing, you know, oh, I can do this in art or I can do that or I could do this that has some, you know, it's kind of related to art, you know, like graphic design or web design, or I don't know. Uh, Yeah, it's always been there.
0: Was there any, a point through, let's say high school or even primary school that you remember a piece that you worked on that you were quite proud of? Uh, Is there a point (laughs) when you're like, oh, this is awesome?
1: I remember I did this collage. I was in fourth grade and our teacher had asked us to make, and I just remembered this now. And I know like it just kind of, uh, yeah, made me think of it. And we had an assignment where we had just construction paper. And she said, using only shapes, I want you to make a picture. And it was a very simple assignment. It wasn't like we were learning art history or anything in grade four. It was just, here's a bunch of paper, scissors and glue. I want you to make a picture of you doing something that you love. And at the time I was really into riding my bike and I would ride my bike everywhere. It would be uh, you know, you would tell who's at whose house by whose bikes are up, you know, strewn upon the lawn and you would bike to all of your friends' house in succession and see who was home to go to Quickie or something with you. So I made a collage of myself riding my bike, but it was from a bird's eye view and it was a helmet and a little nose peeking out. I wish I still had it. And then it was like riding the bike, the handlebars and my feet were out to the side because I <laughs> like to do that, you know, yeah. like flying on your bike. And I remember my teacher was so impressed and I was I was proud of it but it was I do this for fun like I love collage I love paper and drawing and all this stuff but she was like the point of view she had never seen anyone do that before like a bird's eye view and I got some like visual arts award in 4th grade for it and it was up on the projector at the assembly and uh, I was so proud and I was like that's mine you know I'm an artist and <laughs> yeah it was I got a lot of um, positive reinforcement in school from my teachers and peers for it. So I think that also kind of fueled it.
0: That's awesome. I remember doing a collage for a teacher and it was probably about the same age, maybe grade four or five. And uh, she she had a child through our grade, right? So she came back, I think, just before the end of the school year. And I don't know why I was doing this. You just, this caused a flashback for me, so I'm going to talk about it. But I remember for some reason I was into... um, Uh, taking eggs and dyeing them, like, Mm -hmm. you know, blowing the inerts out and then dyeing them and then dry them. And then Mm -hmm. I would crush the eggs and then I would use those colored eggshells to uh, do a collage. Like I would throw glue down on a piece of paper and then I would do a collage basically with eggshells of different colors. And I did a clown for her. And uh, I remember giving that to her and her just being wowed by it. And I don't even remember doing any other... I I, seem to remember doing a lot of that. But it's amazing how those memories stick with you. Right. And, yeah, um, you know, my kids and your kids doing things and you wonder, how are they going to remember this in 20 years mm-hmm. or 30 years? And it's once again, one of those things where I wish I still had it. Right. I wish uh, I. Yeah.
1: I don't know if my parents kept. She, My mom kept a few of my art pieces from when I was a kid. One of them was uh, I was really I've always been obsessed with illuminated manuscripts and it's probably from watching a lot of Disney movies where they start with the storybook, you know, like Sleeping Beauty and Cinderella. They always, the, the earliest Disney movies, they always started with that prop at the beginning. And I loved the the big letters that started the story that were all curly and had this like etching and all this beautiful stuff in it. So I made an alphabet. It was terrible. I was five, but still, <laughs> <laughs> I just lined up all the letters and I made an alphabet and each letter had its little curly cues. And I must've been like, yeah, four or five years old. And my mom slid it in the inside of a binder when they had those plastic sheet protector things. And like, Mm -hmm. I found it the other day and I'm like, and I was just floored. I'm like, oh, you kept this, you know, (laughs) but not much else. I must have drawn a lot more, but I, I don't have any of my old stuff. And that's why I kind of obsessively keep my kids stuff. Now I have boxes and boxes of their artwork and, Goodness, I should probably not keep every single scrap, but like it's that feeling of like I really wish I had all of my old mm-hmm. stuff, you know. So I keep theirs a lot too.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I I agree. Like I I feel like there would be a little bit more validation because I'm 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 the complete. Well, I shouldn't say I'm the complete opposite. I didn't when I was going through school. A a, a girl came to our school and she could draw way better horses than I could, and that just <laughs>
1: well, horses, dragons, and like. What, like those are like the uh, the milestones, you know, like yeah. not milestones, but like if you could draw well, you would ask someone to draw a horse or a dragon yeah. or a knight or something.
0: Right. And Sorry, I, I, I was, no, no, it's okay. And <laughs> I was just, I was so like, fine. I, and I've told the story of the podcast before it was, I was thinking, I just, great. Now I'm not an artist anymore. And I, <laughs> I wrote down in this scholastic <laughs> book where you would put your photos and all that. Um, yeah. I put it out in my newsletter that I wanted to be an artist when I was five. Um, but in those books, this is, you know, this is 70, whatever, two. Um, mm-hmm. Artist was a girl job, not a boy job. Oh, interesting. And so there wasn't an artist option on the boy side. So I actually had to write it in. And then I checkmarked it to say I wanted to be an artist. And it was this, the same thing, right? There was a doctor was a boy job and nurse was a girl job. This is, yeah. it's crazy. Oh, um, man. But yeah, when she came to school, it was like, I'm just so disappointed. <laughs> I'm not a good artist anymore. Like yeah. it's, uh, and I, I don't know about you, but I still go through that. I see other oh people's my god. work every now. Day. Yeah. <laughs> every
1: day. Yeah, every day. Well, I was looking, like, I was thinking, okay, he might ask some questions about my favorite artist. So I go, you know, I'm like looking at all my favorite on my Instagram feed. And I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> these are all so good. <laughs> what am I doing with my life? <laughs> <I'm Right>. just... <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, and I, I almost think that, back to my validation point, that maybe seeing some of your original work, uh, more of it, it would be like, you know what, I've progressed a lot. Oh, I um, hope so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but to know that I put that stuff down, because I remember, like, mm-hmm. I, I remember doing a caricature of Joe Clark mm-hmm. and uh, Pierre Trudeau, and I don't remember, I remember doing it, but I, I don't have it. So I, yeah. I just, it's that kind of stuff I wish I had. So back to you, though, through high school, art was big for you, but music was as well right
1: yeah so my mom did some uh some courses in music in university she had a minor i think in music and she's probably going to listen to this and correct me later i don't actually remember (laughs) but i have a lot of memories of her practicing her her pieces for her exams on the piano when she was pregnant with my brother and i have internalized all of those pieces and she taught me the piano i was really excited about playing the piano and I loved it. It was my it was either drawing or piano, one or the other, and they were neck and neck for most of my life. So then, I mean, I went through piano lessons, and then she taught me through, if you're familiar with, some people might be um, with, through the Royal Conservatory of Music, and I did mm-hmm. up to, I guess, not too high, I guess like fifth grade or so piano level, and then my brother started playing the violin, and I got extremely jealous. So, I needed a string instrument because he was getting really good, really fast. And so I, in high school, but we also had the mandatory instruments of like the recorder. And then in band, you had to choose. You either took music history in our school or um, band. So obviously everyone took band. And the only people who took history, um, no one took it, you know, like it was one or the other, everyone who's anyone who who plays in the band. So I played the flute in the band, but that was short-lived. But then I once my brother started playing the violin, I traded in my flute for a down payment on a cello because it was bigger and cooler and less people <laughs> played it. So nice. I very much and I remember my dad always really loving the cello. So I learned the cello when I was uh, 15, 14 or 15. And then that was right around, you know, when high school started. And then uh, a friend of mine said, hey, you play the cello. Do you want to try playing um like doing some jam sessions with us, and it was a friend who I had grown up with. I'd known him forever. We, him, and his friend Gary. We played three of us, and we did a coffee house. And then again, it's a lot of the stuff that I do. Um, if I'm encouraged, if I am uh, have good feedback, and I just I just love to please people, and that's definitely something that's been with me my whole life. And I just like the music aspect. Like we we started playing stuff and we started writing songs it was mostly Gary who introduced it and I would I mean the cello doesn't take a lead position very often it's a bass instrument so but I really enjoyed playing in a group and it was that sense of belonging to something and that community and then playing shows and showing what you've worked on and um, that was just a ton of fun so there was a point in university like after high school we had recorded the albums and We had like seven people in our band. Some people came in and out because it's primarily an instrumental band. So we had a lot of people come in and out depending on what they were doing. And I really had to make a decision because I went to Montreal for university and I was coming back every single weekend for band practice. And that got very stressful. And I wasn't, um, it was a lot of travel every weekend. And I didn't feel like one of them had to go, you know, either I like, switch majors and just focus on music and then you know go maybe to ottawa u or something or i just stick to art and i decided to go with art because music if you can believe it makes a lot less money than art (laughs) (laughs) so it's easier to get something career related in art or in the arts than it was for me to picture being a musician so that kind of i still love my cello and i still play the piano and everything but um It was neck and neck for several years. Yeah.
0: I wanted to hear that story because we we need to look at art that way. Like where, when we see something that's kind of Mm -hmm. fun, whether it's collage or something else, it's not a kid's thing. Like just Mm -hmm. get in and try it. Right. And I think Mm -hmm. we we forget some of that as we get older. It's like, I'm too busy. I've got a job. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm a parent, (laughs) whatever it may be. Right. We tend to ignore these little opportunities that are presented to us. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah. So that's, that's interesting that you've, you know, you played with the art and the music and then you finished a, a degree and you had a bachelor's of fine arts. Is that mm-hmm. what you ended That's with? Right. Okay. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you because I think you listed in your resume about computation arts. Yes. So can you explain what that is?
1: <laughs> it's an interesting, uh, I wonder if it even still exists. But basically, I, I started off at Concordia um, in painting and drawing, just straight up studio arts with concentration in painting and drawing. And then I was shocked at the lack of technical instruction, right? As most, a lot of people are when they go into university versus a college or a technical school. Right. So I went from high school where I had very basic drawing and painting and photography and, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, And I had my portfolio and I, and I made it through and day one, Painting 101, right? I have this uh, uh, Francoise Sullivan, I think. She was um elderly woman, maybe like in her mid to late 80s. And first day of painting class was like, okay, well, just paint, you know? And, and like, there was no... There were no fundamentals there was no like life painting drawing there was no it was just well you're here to paint why hasn't anyone brought any paints and i'm just like this is day one we're thinking like there would be some kind of anyway i that was like the quick progression of like oh my god what did i sign up for you know and uh and every teacher was their own brand of quirky strange well, they were artists right so the university hires these amazing established artists but not all of them are teachers and that kind of frustrated me. So when I, um, I went through two years of that, of painting for other people, basically, I would decide I would look up what my teacher did, what they liked, what their background was, paint something that I knew they would like, get a good grade and then move on. What am I learning? Nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, what did I learn about myself other than to be pliable? You know, so I after two years of that, I started seeing um, looking around. I'm like, well, I still want to do fine arts. I was talking to some friends that I had made in the same building, which was like this fine arts building, but we were also getting this brand new shiny building, which is now not so brand new anymore. But um, they were making, they were mixing the engineering with uh, computer stuff and some of the fine arts. And with that, they had a new program called Computation Arts. And Computation Arts, I thought okay, this was my impression from what I saw on the website and their curriculum, that it would be more hands-on, like some kind of artsy version of uh, graphic design, maybe, or web development with some cool Flash, because Flash was in at the time, you know, and like, I was going to learn, I was thinking I was going to learn how to make cool interactive websites, maybe some kind of gaming cross with, you know, I didn't know what to expect. So, I did the computation arts uh, concentration, and it ended up being way more, if even possible, abstract than the painting and drawing. And um, I remember one of my teachers had said, when I expressed this frustration, and he pretty much said, you have jumped out of the frying pan and into the fire. And I was just really shocked because it ended up being this program where I still really I, very, I learned so much, and I really enjoyed it, but it was not what I had expected. It was more... I remember like one of my final projects was we learned how to do uh, some programming where we would input sound and it would output image, you know, or we would design installation spaces or we would design interactive installation. It was a very installation based program where it would be like a room and you enter the room and different sensors would take in who's in there and it would play certain music or there would be imagery. It was very, it's really hard for me to define. And when But what's nice is that after I graduated and I was starting to look for jobs, I had been self, I had self-taught myself Photoshop, the entire Adobe suite, like Photoshop and Flash and Dreamweaver and InDesign and all this stuff over the years in concurrently to my degree, because I said, well, if they're not going to teach it, then I'm just going to learn it on my own, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So I had this conceptual theoretical degree, but then they saw my like when i would apply for jobs it, like i worked for the government for a while and they would look at my resume and they say okay well you have you have all this knowledge of all these applications and we see you have a degree in something i see called computation arts so you must have a technical expertise of graphic design and photoshop and you know video editing and sound and all this stuff i'm like oh sure i didn't say no i didn't contradict them right mm-hmm. um, and it worked in my favor right because i had basically up till then been self-taught in all of the, uh, the graphics, like the you know, digital art basically, and had the degree to prove it, <laughs> right. you know? Um, so it was, it was different. I would say, I, I don't know if I would recommend the program cause I have no idea what they're doing these days. It felt like it was very much, um, whatever the teachers felt was relevant at the time and what kind of things the galleries were showing and what kind of work artists were doing using technology, but not only because we had, we were, we were studying all sorts of contemporary artists and I would say it was just kind of like a very broad education in contemporary arts that had anything in it to do with technology.
0: That's wild. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I taught myself the same tools but i was in mechanical engineering in college and then mm-hmm. i ended up going into web design so when you were talking about dreamweaver and you know macromedia shockwave and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff was uh, you know when flash came out that was huge right yeah. um i remember writing an article about how to animate in flash and uh, now it's it's so sad it's gone but i know uh, <laughs> i know i
1: really thought and like if i had known it was going to disappear man there are a few classes i would have skipped. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so did you? So you went into the you know you worked for the government, doing I guess some technical work around maybe graphic design. Like how did you, <gasps> what happened there that you got to a point where you are doing what you're doing now? <laughs> like
1: well, yeah. So my first government job was through FSWEP, right? The the education they would bring up students. I don't know if they still have that program, but you apply as a student, and it was while I was still in university. And um, my first, first job was with uh, CBSA, with Canada Border Services Agency, and I helped with the website that they had at the time. And um, it was like, they were reporting fraudulent documents and I would help edit the the images and put them into the website. This was before they had the common look and feel or anything, this was like way before, like they were fine with whatever HTML I could give them, which was great because I didn't, you know, I wasn't uh, too deep into the developing stuff. So that was like a summer job. And then because that required security clearance, it helped me get a string of jobs that were not permanent, but they were at the time they were fine. Right. So that one was web. And then after that, I did some data entry. And then after that, um, I worked at public health and I did it was more media stuff. I was recording tutorials. Basically, I was writing these uh, tutorials on how to train border officers, how to use certain software. So it was very oddly specific, but they also threw anything at me that had to do with design once they saw what my background was, you know, so I was helping them edit forms, make graphics and logos and, you know, here and there. Um, And the only reason I didn't stay there is because at the same time, my um, then to be husband, well, we got married and he, um, he's American and he, we were trying to get, um, trying to get a permanent residence, Uh, status for him. And that was really hard. Um, I'm so glad that whole chapter of our life is behind us now. But um, at the time we got married a bit early to try to, you know, First, everyone thought I was pregnant. <laughs> I was just like, "No, I'm not <laughs> pregnant." We just want to beat. We want to get do want to get married before he gets kicked out of the country, right? Because you're only allowed to stay six months, and then you have to go back. Right. And um, we had just said, oh, six months is plenty of time to get a job and get settled and all that." But we were pretty young, and we uh, didn't plan too far ahead. So I ended up having to leave that job. And teleworking wasn't really a thing. You know, it was this was like 2008, 2009. And so after we got married, it was either have a long distance marriage or quit the job and move to Charleston. So I quit the job. And that was really hard because I had a lot of friends there and I had my own place in Ottawa. And it was very much like the dream job, right? Doing art related things, but for the government. So I also had, I had the the liberty to, you know, draw at lunch. I would bring my tablet. I had the like one of the first models of the Toshiba laptop that the screen would like flip over and it would kind of be like a, like an iPad. And I had that security and all this stuff. And it was very scary actually to say, okay, well to, to leave that job and move to Charleston, but um, I'm not, I don't regret it at all. It was a, it was a really fun chapter in life, but um, I think, I don't even remember what you originally asked me. I'm really good at that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So you moved to Charleston. I'm just wondering, like, you move through these jobs that have a technical flair to them, yeah. and then you move to Charleston. Mm-hmm. Um, how long were you there before you ended up coming back? When I look at everything that you're doing now, all the art that you've been producing and all the shows mm-hmm. you've been doing recently and all that, it seems like this is where you need to be. And Very I'm wondering, much so. I'm wondering yeah. when that when that flipped for you, when did it go from these jobs and then Charleston to you kind of establishing yourself as, you know, I'm the artist you expect me to be. Um Maybe. <laughs>
1: Maybe. So yeah, in Charleston, um, I couldn't work. So, because I wasn't legally allowed to yet. Right. So I was in the same situation, but flipped. Um, but this time we were married and this time I managed, uh, to, to stay busy. And we also, we also had two kids, right? So, I mean, I got pregnant in Charleston and it was one of those things where that is kind of another point on your side, if you're married to someone and it was easier for me to get my green card. <laughs> Not that I would recommend that. Right. <laughs> we were married and planning to have a family and it was just the right time. But while in Charleston, I couldn't get a, a real job, quotes, you know, but um, so I just focused on my art and it was the first time in my life that I could really just do art. And it was at that point that I very much realized how much I enjoyed it, you know, and it was like I'd never been able to devote all of my time to my artwork yeah. So after, I mean, I couldn't work while I was, you know, having rearing children and stuff, but I was still had, I still had my art on the side all the time. And then we did, we moved back to Canada and I think I just, I needed to get a job when we moved back to Canada. And I didn't really care as to what it was because it was the same situation where one of us had to work. We ended up living with my parents for a bit, um, but we had two kids and they needed to go to daycare. Like it was a it was an urgent time and I needed to find something. And my really good friend, Kim Buck, she works at uh, Mercury Filmworks and she got me a job there and she trained me. And I, and I worked at, uh, at the animation studio on Mickey Mouse for a year. And that was kind of like the last job I had that was, you know, a paycheck to paycheck kind of thing. Right. Like I had never, worked for an animation place before but it was kind of an, of a neat hybrid between office work and art but I also realized I wasn't happy there either so this, that was the first time I actually left a job and wasn't forced to leave you know cuz other times like you know just life circumstances had changed but at this point I was like I can actually choose to leave cuz both of us had jobs my husband and I and I was like you know what I'm going to give the art thing a chance like the full-time freelance thing my kids were in school Husband had a job. It was a really good time to see if it could work, and uh so things lined up. And I think that was around 2015 or so. And that's kind of when I say I started my art career was when I left Mercury. Yeah, it's been that's five years ago. Wow. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> that was kind of the start of it, I'd say.
0: Yeah, I mean it's it's going to six now, right? So it's yeah, uh, yeah, that's that, true. Yeah, and that's why I wanted to have you on because you've. Your a lot of your stuff is fairly recent in yes. you know the work that you're doing and like what was what was your thinking about when you decided that you're going to make a, bu- a business or go of this did you think i got to do commissions first mm-hmm. um and maybe let's talk about your art as well because you know you've gone through all this you you had the formal training you did all this other work a lot of digital work and then you landed at a point where you know you've you've done some really interesting work uh from murals to the digital stuff and so what did you hit with first as a matter of saying this is what I'm going to do and this is how I'm going to do it
1: well it um it shouldn't be ignored that I had been making art prolifically throughout my entire life right so and it started when i was um, in elementary school, and I would take commissions for friends for a couple bucks here and there, you know, like, oh, draw my favorite video game character, or the biggest thing was birthday cards or baby shower cards, or can you do a portrait of my dog? I'm you know, gonna give it to my grandmother for her birthday. So that was kind of always in the background. Okay. And, um, my mom was actually super entrepreneurial as well, even when she had us. she ran, she had a catering business while having the kids at home. and she, She did, yeah, she did the catering. She had an at-home daycare. She taught piano lessons. So she's always, like, that was definitely an example early on of being super busy and super productive, you know, in all these different areas. So, yeah, I had been producing stuff for a long time up to that point. So by the time I was in Mercury, at Mercury, um, or even throughout all these jobs, I had already been going to conventions. I had been five or six years in a row at either Comic-Con Otaku-thon or any other like craft sales too but like I, I always had yeah like my first uh, convention was when I was I think in like 10th grade or so you know and I made a whole two dollars I sold one print <laughs> of, <laughs> of a cat girl and it was I think it was a pity sale but that's okay because I still <laughs> had so much fun so I had already been doing the whole thing where i had a website and i had an etsy shop and it was all in the background for years you know so things had picked up to a certain point by the time i decided to go full-time um that i had started i had my first show i participated in a show in charleston right before we moved and it was like a group art festival so there were there was a gallery component an art vendor component a performance live music component and i had some pieces there And I said, you know, I could I could do this, you know, and like I kind of started switching from primarily digital art and drawings because I would draw traditionally and then put it through Photoshop and do some kind of um, digital art. That was my primary output for conventions and stuff and commissions. Um, And I started kind of wanting to revisit my painting roots and um, started doing a few works on canvas and that was around yeah 2015 2016 and i said i would try to start painting again and uh i'm not really sure what exactly brought that on other than um i felt it was a maturity thing i was i felt like i was kind of done doing um i was just finished with uh, anime stuff not like anime is still a huge part of like my my influences growing up and mm-hmm. But I started just, I guess, maturing insofar that I wasn't only after doing commissions for other people based on other people's favorite shows, you know, and I got kind of tired of doing just, you know, Harry Potter bookmarks and Pokemon stickers. And, you know, so I was saying I looked back, like at this point, and I was like, what am I leaving behind? Like, what kind of if I'm an artist, what kind of legacy is it to just have a bunch of fan art, you know, and I had original characters, but art from original characters, unless you have a comic or a show, you know, it doesn't really take off as well. Because I'm not, I'm not a writer. You know, I don't have very many stories in me. So I was kind of, kind of thinking, okay, now I'm, I'm an adult. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I, I feel like I should have a say in what I'm making instead of just going from commission to commission. Because a lot of me felt like, um, I had to make a certain amount of money to be legitimate as an artist, but I wasn't happy the way that I was getting money at the, up until then, you know, cause it was all other people's characters or um, that kind of thing. So it was definitely a point where I was, I, I started a few paintings for that show in Charleston and I enjoyed it so much. And I said, I really miss painting. Cause the only other paintings I had done were in school and they were for other teachers. Or they were life paintings, like a a painting from life or, you know, still life or that kind of thing. Right. So, yeah, I guess it was just me trying to to become an artist in my own right and not um, by other people's definition, not definition. But, you know, like I didn't I wanted to make something that was mine and I wanted to make a name for myself. And I felt like um, it was a good time to do it because we have we had stability in the home.
0: Right. Did you feel that you had to do that with paint versus doing digital? Like did you had to kind of embrace the classic training and do something physical instead of doing digital because maybe that was too close to anime?
1: That's a good, yeah, it's a good question. (laughs) Um, I think I definitely uh, had a few thoughts where if I'm going to make art and I want it to be legitimate, (laughs) I definitely would think back to You know, when you look in your art history books, it's like oil on canvas or acrylic on canvas or sculpture or, you know, so I suppose um, thinking back and like the first time I would draw and make art like when I was a child was with paints and pencils and crayons, you know. So maybe it was something like going back to even further before I was influenced by all the digital stuff, but also feeling like that was. Uh, the official thing to do because like I tried to think of what kind of career paths you have as an artist and there were the digital routes which I was already doing and there there were galleries you know and I was trying to look at the amount of time spent on a piece as to how much you can sell it for and I was throughout my education they would make you go to you know museums and you would see what kind of prices some of the paintings were getting and I was kind of like okay well maybe I need to do painting to be taken seriously and I think that was a huge concern because it was kind of a point where I was like known as just painting or drawing uh, digitally cute things and anime stuff and then saying well no I'm a painter it it seemed to have more weight to it at the time um at least also with um my immediate family and friends it felt like oh she's a she's painting now it felt like people were taking me more seriously as opposed to when I was doing um the convention stuff
0: and you're still doing the painting because you were working on a piece for uh, a course do, or something right yes yeah.
1: I um well I do both I I try to uh to do everything <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah because I notice uh, you know you the, I've seen quite a few streams where you're drawing digitally and mm-hmm. I see you, you have like a Cintiq or something you use is that... I do yeah yeah and um, I I think it was your last stream you were doing pencil, mm-hmm. um, which was which was cool. And what I think is is um, you're talking about doing stuff for yourself, but that whole Twitch uh, stream was you drawing what people are asking you to draw. I know. <laughs> and that, but
1: yeah, I don't do that often. Okay, right. so.
0: <laughs> but, but, and I should be clear that, you know, people had an opportunity to, uh, there was like a draw you would do and, mm-hmm. and, and people in the chat would say, I want you to draw this. And then you would mm-hmm. do a little research online, possibly to say, what are you talking about? And uh, <laughs> then then you would draw it and you would do it in 10 minutes. Right. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was really fun. And that's why I think it's, it's okay to, you know, I'm not saying it's wrong to draw stuff for people, but the way that you engage your Twitch stream is really um, compelling, I think. And it, it it's a space where there's not a lot of uh, people doing art for the sake of art, right? There's mm-hmm. a lot of gaming. Yes. And then there's a lot of uh, Twitch streams that engage people for different reasons that aren't necessarily around art or gaming. And um, so the, I, I feel like it's a bit devalued in what it could be, Right. But I think Mm -hmm. you're in there and you're doing art for the sake of art and you interact with people and answer questions and there's always interesting stories. And I think it's it's great the way you've embraced it for something that, you know, I've gone in and done two or three and, you know, I've said this to others as well, like, you know, nobody shows up or you have a few Mm. people show up and it's just not, you know, I I might as well just go do it on Instagram because I have a larger following there, right? Exactly. Um, Yeah. And so it's, it is challenging, but Let's let's go back to because I'm not sure if we should talk about Twitch or I want to talk about the murals. Yeah, that you've done. And when did that start? Because that's the, the canvas is a little bit more challenging with that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> canvas, right? Um,
0: like how does how did that come about? Was that did a friend ask you to draw one?
1: <laughs> right. Um. Well, actually, when we first let me um think back, first mural I did. Um. I mean, as a child, you know, you paint on walls when you're not supposed to. Mm -hmm. (laughs) When we first moved into this house that I've been in now for six years, the previous owners had left it in, you know, a bit of a a shambles. (laughs) It needed a lot of work. And um, so my daughter's room, I asked her if she wanted me to make her room really nice, you know, and she was maybe four or five at the time. So she's (laughs) probably going to change her mind very soon. Um, so I asked her what she would like on her wall and she wanted, I said, we could, she could pick her own, uh, color paint swatch at home Depot. She picked bubblegum pink, like really pink. Okay. Like inside of a teddy bear or something like that. Anyway, (laughs) very pink. And I asked her what she wanted me to do on the wall. And I was thinking like, um, once I moved to Ottawa and there are a lot of amazing muralists here and I started um, doing Art Battle. I would go to... Have you ever been to an Art Battle? I have not. Okay. It's live competitive painting and obviously they're not doing it now because of COVID, but mm-hmm. it's it's a riot. It's so much fun. And a lot of the people I met through there were these street artists and they were doing... I would follow them on Instagram and they would they would be there at Art Battle every month. And I started going every month even just to volunteer. Like I painted a few times, but I just loved the energy there. And it's... You walk up to a stage, there are six artists per round and they have 20 minutes to paint a canvas and then the audience votes on the winner and the winner moves on. Anyway, so I started seeing some regulars there and I started looking into their art and a lot of them were these amazing muralists. And I'm like, I wonder how being a muralist informs their practice. And I think what it did for them is it, it um, well, first of all, they started developing a style that people would recognize on the street right you know and a lot of them were getting commissions from the city because ottawa is so nice and that they have a nice um system set up where they actually do pay artists to paint in the city and like there are a lot of different opportunities for artists here which is lovely and i wanted to be part of it so i thought no one's gonna hire me for, your, for a mural if i haven't ever done any murals so i started in my house And I did my daughter's bedroom and she asked for Hello Kitty. And it is a 13-foot wide mural of Hello Kitty and her friends on bright bubblegum (laughs) pink. And I did that on Twitch a few years, yeah, about four years ago. And it was fun because people could watch the progress. And it was a ridiculous setup. I had like the projector and, you know, it was crazy. And I did a giant grid and like I traced it out. And then I had all my paint swatches and jars. And like it was... I treated it like painting a canvas, like anything else, you know? So I said, well, you can paint canvas. I can just paint a wall, like, right. Like there's nothing saying I can't use the same paint, but on a wall, like I've accidentally painted on my wall a ton of times and it's not going anywhere. Right. So I did her room and then of course my son got jealous and he wanted one too. So his favorite um, at the time was super Mario brothers. So I did a Mario world theme on one wall And then we got some vinyl stickies to do, like he can move the characters around on his wall, you know? So, so that helped because then my, at least friends and family started to know, right. That I could do murals. And then I did, um, I did one at Parkdale outdoors. And that was, I just decided to take a remix of a painting that I had already done and painted that outside in one day. And the art battle really helped me paint quickly. And I like, training to do art battle is what kind of sealed the deal for a lot of different skills that I use now every day. And, um, such as painting a mural in one day, you know, or, um, teaching painting, it really helps to, cause you get really efficient when you do the same thing over and over again. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did the one at Parkdale and then my really good friend from university, actually from the computation arts program, <laughs> she asked me to do her daughter's ceiling. And that was the first time I had actually ever documented it properly. So that's the one where a lot of people got to see it because I did. And I had just started using Adobe Premiere um, a little more often and getting to know my way around the software, making videos and adding graphics. And that's when I just started kind of paying more attention to my YouTube channel. Not that it has very much traction right now, but I, I don't post, I don't post very often on there, but when I do, I like to make it nice, you know? So that mural I did, um, I treated it a lot more like an original painting and my husband helped me make some scaffolding and I put everything in my car and I drove and I spent the week at her house. And what was nice is that I didn't have, um, the distractions of you know my own children she has a daughter but it wasn't because it was for her daughter's bedroom but her daughter was um occupied during the day so it wasn't like I had to be a mom I could kind of just be full-time artist that week Mm -hmm. and she fed me and I had a place to stay and it was like it was heaven it was great All all I had to do was like paint a ceiling and then I um I would listen to podcasts and music all day and I was on the scaffolding like upside down not upside down but lying on my back painting and like you know, I got lots of jokes from uh, Sistine Chapel, Michelangelo right. jokes, right? <laughs> and um, and no, it was it was a great experience, and I came back wanting to do more.
0: And what was the uh, what was the subject of that mural? Was that
1: she just asked for like cloudy because uh, like space, you know? Okay. So like I had been painting a lot of space stuff, and that's kind of what I've been not like typecast. Maybe a little bit because, you know, my first big series was of the space themed paintings. So she asked for a starry sky, you know, a dark sky with glow in the dark stars on the ceiling. I, I kind of went crazy with it. I turned it way more into this abstract color splash of swirly whatever, but they loved it. So, and then when you turn out the lights, it glows in the dark, of course. Awesome. So, um, yeah, so it was mostly spacey stuff.
0: So, and that ties into this because you. A lot of your work looks like Hubble took it. Um, mm-hmm. And at what point did that start for you where you saw the Hubble space imagery and you started thinking, I want to do something similar. And cause that's still happening today. Like even with your journal, right. The, uh, mm-hmm. that you've got this, as you say, maybe you're known for this, this look, like when did that start for you? Is that really recent or has that been?
1: It's, it's been, I mean, I feel like it's recent, but I guess it's been a couple, it's been a few years now in the making. Um, there was a notable progression. So I started streaming on Twitch back in 2015 or 16, and there weren't many, there were a few painters. There were quite, like, there were a few people just doing fine art painting on Twitch at the time. And I wasn't too concerned about standing out. I just wanted to participate, you know, like I just said, I'm going to paint. I'm going to film it. I'm going to do this. And um, I realized people react more when the canvases are bigger um, because it's more interesting to watch. It's also easier to see what you're doing, you know, when they're, the canvas is big. And I started off my painting practice in 2015 doing what I knew best, which was trees, because that's the first thing I ever drew when I was a kid. I remember drawing trees over and over again. And I really love nature. And I almost ended up going into um, botany, That was like a weird segue that like, you know, I wanted to draw plants and I wanted to do those, those classic, you know, French illustrations of like botanical studies and stuff like that. Um, So I tried to go back to, oh my goodness, pun not intended, to my roots (laughs) and um, try to see what it would be like to paint trees. So I started with trees and then I was like, okay, this isn't so bad. I was having trouble. I don't like painting straight up landscapes. I really don't. Like I'm not a huge fan of just like none of my paintings are that, you know, group of seven style, whatever Canadian landscapes. It's not my, it's not my jam Um, for no real reason other than it's never spoken to me. You know, like when I see something outside, I want to be in it. I don't want to paint it, you know? So when I paint trees, it's very much, I was doing more, I guess, more animation inspired uh, compositions and stuff. And then from trees, I moved into, um, doing some underwater scenes, still trying to stick to the idea of nature and sustainability issues are really, um, I'm really concerned about. And I wanted to paint um, either endangered species species or just uh, wonderful, beautiful things in nature, you know, and but like with a really interesting um, feel to it. So I did some underwater paintings. And then I started painting the jellyfish. And the jellyfish took off really well. I I sold all of them as I was making them. And I had a small sh- um, showing at the Oh So Good restaurant on York Street here in Ottawa and uh, the, the dessert place. And that was my first time having art on a wall in Ottawa. So I was really excited about that. And I got great feedback. I didn't sell any of them there, but I ended up selling them privately. But I had such good feedback. I was like, Oh, I'm just going to keep painting jellyfish. You know, everyone loves these things. And I love stuff that glows in the dark. And I love the play of light and dark. So I was really fascinated by making things glow and everyone's saying, Oh, I love how you make everything look like it's glowing, you know? And I wasn't using glow in the dark paint. It was just how, you know, it it was actually a really um, easy effect to do in Photoshop. And I kind of just like, took what I knew from making interesting images in Photoshop and translated it into paint. So one of the jellyfish I did had more of an abstract background and it almost looked kind of like a nebula, kind of cloudy. Um, It's the bioluminescence one. It's like the teal green one and it has like these tendrils and it's glowish. Like, you know, it looks like phosphorescent.
0: I'll include a link to it. If it's in your Instagram, we'll include a link to it. Yes, for sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And um, that one... I had some feedback from people saying like, it looks like it's in space. And I just had, first I had this flashback of those. Do you remember like those images from Northern getaway, the clothing, and they would have like whales in space or like maybe Lisa Frank stuff too, where it was just animals and dolphins in space. And like, I cringed at the thought because it's a very specific type. That was like when I was a very awkward teenager and that's the stuff I was into. And I didn't really want to paint that kind of stuff because it wasn't, it just felt too cheesy. So, but I still really wanted to paint stuff that glowed. <laughs> so I ended up looking at pictures of, of nebula, nebulae, nebulas. <laughs> <laughs> and um, that kind of had that same feeling of light from within. So like, there's no light source. It is its own light source. So things glowing from inside. I realized that that is a common theme in my stuff in retrospect you know i didn't really realize i was doing that until much later so i started doing first i wanted to do some studies of clouds because i was doing all of these so far in acrylics and someone said when they saw the jellyfish piece they said that looks like it's in oils i think you'd have a much easier time doing all that blending in oils so then i was like okay i'll try oils. so i hadn't ever tried oil painting before and it was a disaster i tried painting a portrait it was horrible i tried painting it was just so different than what I was used to. So I decided to just pick something easy and um, with one color and I started painting just skies, just clouds, like white clouds on a blue sky. We only need two colors. It was easy to handle. And then I got pretty good at rendering clouds. And then I decided to include, you know, a sunset. And then I kind of went and I was still trying to learn oils for the end result of hoping to paint space. Right. So like, I was trying these clouds and then I introduced, I would uh, do a mashup in Photoshop with different images of clouds and space and stars. And then I would try painting what I saw in Photoshop. And then I had the main image that's on my site, the spectrum sky. It was like the uh, big pinkish main it's on my business card. It's like, well, it's the main banner on my website. Um, and that painting, um, I felt like was the, um, beginning of my brand as far as the space cloud kind of look and um, that one really took off I sold a bunch of prints of it the original went to a really good friend of mine and then I just wanted more of that I really loved how that looked, but for that one I didn't use Hubble imagery I used I used uh, stock photos of clouds and I superimposed a ridiculous color scheme that I painted in Photoshop, right? Like it wasn't a real one. It was very fantastic. And I really love that, like the ridiculous colors, but still something sort of believable. And then I realized this exists already in space, right? So like I started um, looking up images and NASA has released so many and then the Hubble imagery. And I don't remember at the up until that point, I'd never seen other, there are other artists doing amazing space paintings, but at the time I didn't know of any of them. And I'm like, oh, I'll just be the first person to paint space. Right. <laughs> I was not the first person, but, um, but I loved doing it because not only was it kind of a, a culmination of all the stuff that I had been working with so far, I was able to use my digital knowledge by, um, I would kind of mash up more than one Hubble image together. I might draw on it a little bit too. And then I would paint from that image that I made in Photoshop. So it was never, I very rarely, if not ever straight up, just tried to paint a Hubble image. You know, I very much put myself into it and tried to change it a little bit. And even if I had tried to paint directly from the reference image, my, they would always change, you know? So um, that's interesting.
0: yeah, that's kind of,
1: it's a long journey but uh, it's it, I haven't gotten sick of it yet so
0: It's interesting that you've uh, leveraged all that time you spent with your computation arts training and <laughs> and experience uh yeah. t- to leverage Photoshop in that way because I think that's that's great I mean I spoke to, I've spoken to other artists as well where you know there I think that there's a real value if if you are thinking about being an artist um you're listening to, to us talking right now like you really need to consider investing time in some digital tools, not necessarily purchasing them, but learning Photoshop, uh, le- maybe learning how to use a tablet, whether it's an iP- iPad with Procreate or a Cintiq with Photoshop. But there's a huge advantage, especially in this kind of the ability to be completely destructive and in Photoshop and being able to throw a bunch of layers and turn one off and then add a filter to or an adjustment to one layer and being able to do that and really kind of brainstorm without throwing mm-hmm. it on canvas uh to hear it, like do you do that for you're still doing that now if you're working on a piece you're still leveraging photoshop as you're kind of is, is that where you kind of brainstorm a little bit you, you bring like a few images in as, as five or six layers and then you kind of rotate them and play with them a little bit is that how you approach totally. it yeah
1: that's exactly what i've been doing for a long time um i I mean, I would love to say I could paint without Photoshop, but I choose not to. (laughs) I I use Photoshop so much. It's second nature now. I've been using it since I was, well, since, I guess since 98 or 99, right? 1998. (laughs) I'm not that old. And um, it's always been like the more I used it, the more I can't imagine not using it because it saves time and you can take a, I can take a picture with my phone of like an object and bring it into Photoshop. I can take a picture of something else and put it as a background. You can get um, stock images. Uh, not that I, sometimes I use them, but um, you cannot undervalue like Photoshop is so useful and not just for referencing and brainstorming, but like, I think anyone listening needs in this day and age, you have to have some kind of graphic, um knowledge because everything we do is so visual and having your own social media if you have that little you get that little bit of an edge in if you know some basic stuff in photoshop because you can market yourself a little easy more easily and um it's uh it's such like there are things like photoshop i know that there's like gimp and there are a few other ones that are not as costly but i use the entire adobe suite so it really comes in handy it's worth it it's an investment but um I couldn't I wouldn't work without it. I love it.
0: Now the the big prominent one if people go to your site and once again I'll include a link to it and they go to your gallery. Mm-hmm. The first one they see is the rainbow launch, which I think is mm-hmm. an incredible image.
1: Thank you.
0: I would <laughs> it's it's weird because we've had, you know, significant anniversaries lately with Columbia and mm-hmm. uh and all of that. So it's it it reflects on a time when it was just when when they were launching the shuttles, it was just magical, right? It's like we could do anything. Mm-hmm. And I was watching the launch today of uh, Elon's SN9. Oh, um, I didn't have it
1: caught it yet, but oh my goodness.
0: <laughs> it kind of went yeah. sideways there, um, literally. <laughs> but uh, I watch all of these. I watch all mm-hmm. the SpaceX launches, uh, mm-hmm. you know, when when they did, did the big heavy launch or the, when the two boosters landed, where two Falcon lines mm-hmm. landed together. It was like, this stuff blows yeah. my mind and I... I, I always get the kids to watch it, and I look. We
1: bring them all into the living room, and we're just yeah. <laughs> That's it.
0: It's the best TV. Um, it is. Can you talk a little bit about that image, and maybe the next question would be: Are you going to do more like that? Are you the stuff that Elon's doing with uh, with these um, with these new ships? Are you, are you thinking about that as maybe doing an inspira- uh, inspiration for one of yours because they're beautifully. You know, stainless steel, reflective, interesting objects.
1: Um, They are pieces of art in themselves. Yeah. For sure.
0: What was your inspiration for this one? The Rainbow Launch?
1: Rainbow Launch started as an art battle practice piece. Um, I have several mini canvases of it as I tried to do like, you know, the 15 minute painting. And then you give yourself a five minute buffer because you want to be able to actually finish it. During the competition. So I had narrowed it down. I got really good at doing this one angle. And like, I felt like it was a natural progression because my space pieces were doing really well. I had just finished um, pointing, like you can see it, but the (laughs) Jupiter, the Jupiter triptych, the three piece one. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that one was right after they released the image of Jupiter's pole. And it had all that gorgeous blue swirl. And like none of us could have imagined that those kind of images that that kind of color existed on jupiter and i just fell in love with it so after jupiter i i did um well i did a few i went here and there but like the rainbow launch came after i really wanted to put more depth into my pieces because and i mean actual i'm not really good with (laughs) space (laughs) i mean like three-dimensional space the depiction of like landscapes and um a depth in a painting, right? And I really wanted to do something where you can see something either, like something going off into the distance, right? So some of my pieces have a bit of depth in them, but a lot of them are quite flat. And I think that's because a lot of my earlier artwork was just pinup style, right? You do a character and you do an abstract background in Photoshop and you stick your name on there and you really go put it on DeviantArt or something, you know, like that was the process I did for years. And my husband has been a really big inspiration as far as really trying to push me with my work and like getting it to look, to just push it, to make it more, you know, like uh, to, I don't know, make it better, to keep going. (laughs) And I think, and we noticed like we're trying to look at the trend as far as my work and which ones were successful. And it was the ones that seemed to have a central subject and that had a bit of depth. So I started, okay, I have space. I want it to have uh, depth and I want it to be, um, and like Jupiter, I want people to feel connected to it. So I kind of took all of those things and I was thinking, well, what about like the actual exploration, like us in space, right? So putting yourself in that. Cause a lot of the other ones, they're almost, they're semi-abstract, right? Like my space pieces are very, they're so out there, you know, they're nebula, they're, uh, distant constellations, that kind of thing. So I really wanted to try to do something where we can imagine ourselves more in that situation. So I didn't want to choose a specific shuttle. Like it was very much like I took a lot of different references and kind of made a generic-ish, you know, launch. I and I took a few different ones. Most of them were from older launches, too. I mean, obviously it's a big old thing. But um mm-hmm. it was very much uh trying to put ourselves in it and also have a physical subject because I very rarely ever have a subject in my paintings. I feel like it almost says too much. I, I'm, I'm still kind of scared of putting subjects, <laughs> like really direct subjects in there. I'm always worried about what people will say or what they might think. I just try to make it look nice and hope that'll speak for itself. But yeah, it was definitely a goal to, to be something like uh, kind of a unity feeling and like we're all we're all in this together, kind of thing, and it's a common goal. And um, yeah, like there were a lot of things in there. It was also, I think, it was also Pride Week. We got a lot of rainbows in there going on, and I just love using all the colors at once. And I, if anything, I just really like my work to to bring people to bring people together and put us all on common ground and like that kind of thing. I'm not really good at explaining my work. <laughs> But that was, yeah, that was the hope for that one.
0: I think it's, I mean, it's prominent on your, on your site and it's prominent on another project that you worked on, which was your, your journal project. Mm -hmm. And uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think that was the first thing I saw you twitch about is, maybe it wasn't the first thing, but you were talking about your, and and I think this was maybe two or three times later episodes. I don't know if they call them Mm -hmm. episodes, (laughs) Uh, two or three Twitch sessions later. Uh, Mm -hmm. you were getting the books in. Mm -hmm. Um, And so can you talk about that? Because you kickstarted this.
1: I did. Yeah. And
0: why did you create a journal?
1: That is like a whole other story. So I have so many projects. I just have, I do so many things, right? So this was back when actually the first time I had thought about doing the journal, I it was about a year ago, maybe a bit more and I was listening to, I was doing Andy J. Pete's, uh first Skillshare class. The one where you do a side, like the side project thing. The sub, I forget what he called it. I've been listening to his podcast for a couple of years. And it was one of those things where I decided to get Skillshare and I tried it and I tried his class and it was a project where you make, um, I wanted to list all the things where you make your own prompt, basically, like you create the work that you want to do. And I was trying to come up with... Uh, I guess my own my own project that I could fulfill that I would essentially want to keep doing if someone were to hire me for it, you know, like right. a dream job you know and i w- so what I tried to think of was something that would involve my painting, so I could put my paintings on the on the cover um and I am an avid journaler I've been journaling since I was a kid i like even my first I've had a diary since forever, and my mom kind of modeled that behavior she has always been journaling as well, so I've had a journal. I've been doing daily journal entries for um, years. So I've always had a journal, so I would always kind of decorate them. And I said, well, what if I could actually make one with my art on it? That would be awesome. Because then it's it also um, is more accessible because I really, I love selling my paintings and I think large oil paintings are lovely, but they're a luxury item. And I really want to make my art more accessible. And it also goes back to, when I was doing conventions, right? So I'm at a convention, I'm at Comic-Con and I have my table of stuff. The stuff that sells the most are the stickers. They're a dollar, two bucks, you know, or maybe some pins, um, because they're easy to get. They are, they're cheap. You can carry them in your pocket and anyone can buy them. And they're sort of useful. My husband would say stickers are, he hates stickers, which is funny (laughs) because I've chosen to make stickers. Um, (laughs) but they're useful, you know, like it has, um, you can use them for something there. And it has, uh, I remember I was listening to your interview with Jake Parker and how he said he gives his artwork several lives, Right. you know, it has, it can be, you know, like, so for this, like it has a life as a painting, it can come up, come back as a sticker, or you know, that kind of thing. So I was trying to think of a way that I can maximize the use of my work because I spend so many hours on these paintings and then to sell the original and then it's gone. Right. So I've put in a lot of time into getting them digitally, um, high def scans of them so I can reuse them. And I have all that, those years and years of Photoshop and graphics and all this other stuff, graphic uh, art editing skills. So I was like, okay, well, how about I put my art on a journal cause I journal every day. Um, But another one of the things was that I really care about the environment. And at the time COVID was rolling around I really wanted to support a local industry. So I tried to think of a project that brought a lot of my passions into one place because I couldn't ever picture myself not painting. and I couldn't ever picture myself not doing journals. And then the side stuff with the journals or the stickers and stuff. And that kind of brings in my illustration. So I feel like I had thought of a project that could encompass all of these things. But at the time when I was doing the Skillshare class, I'm like, this is a dream thing. Like, it's not going to happen it's too much work. Like where I am now, it's like, this will take forever, you know? Um, And it wasn't until I applied for this, uh, for the Ottawa Arts Network Mentorship Program. And a friend of mine had told me about it. And basically you're lined up with a mentor and who's in a similar career position or like uh, as you and, but a few years ahead, kind of, you know, like they're, Mm -hmm. they're there to help you and guide you. And My mentor, Tina, just funny, Tina and Kina, she's in animation, but she also has a background in painting and different uh, similar things as as I am into. And um, she just helped me. I told her the things I wanted to do. And then she said, well, let's do them. And like, it was kind of like that point where I was like, oh, I can do this. You know, like, this is possible. You know, are you sure? She goes, yeah, you know, we break it down. We analyze things and like, we you know, make lists, <laughs> stay focused. My biggest problem is staying focused because I have a million and one interests, and in my, you know, like my hands and all these different cookie jars kind of thing. And she was really good at saying, no, <laughs> <Like> <laughs> redirecting me and said, work on this. This is what you need to do next. And it really, um, that was the big push that was back in, um, I'd say right around when COVID first hit, because all of our interviews were done over Zoom And that was kind of like my isolation project where I was looking at different printers and making prototypes. I was binding books. I was doing mock-up sticker designs and picking what kind of... I had um, a few Facebook posts where I would ask people which painting would look best on it or paintings, you know. And um, yeah, so it was a long time Coming, like it was one of those things where I it was a very slow progress, uh, but over over the summer, um, I finally s- secured a, a couple print places and got some prototypes done. And then I, when I got the quote, I was like, "All right, so to get it locally made, Ottawa doesn't make books, right? Our Ottawa is not um, and like a print industry kind of city. You'll either right. have Mississauga to the west or Montreal, right?" Mm-hmm. So at the time I was trying, I was trying really hard to get to make everything locally. And I ended up going with one print company in Ottawa um, and they made a pretty good prototype, but they, they weren't binding it like a normal, like a proper textbook because I really wanted enough pages in this journal. I designed it for myself because if I could use it, at least I could use it. You know, like I wasn't designing it for an imaginary person. I wanted it to be for me because then at least if I end up with a thousand journals, I can at least use them, you know? <laughs> so I designed it in a way that it would be good for me to use for a year. And I made the pages super thick so that I could use any medium in there. But it also resulted in this brick of a book. It's like it's like a kilogram. When I ship it, it's so painful. Anyway, um, it's, a, it's a gorgeous book, but it's heavy. And when I got the first printing place to do it, they didn't have the right binding to support that kind of paper, So I had to hunt around. I had to restart and it was painful looking for another printer. I eventually found one in Montreal and it's still local. I mean, it's Canadian, right? Mm -hmm. So (laughs) I um, I had a lot of uh, tough points where my mentor had to kind of say, no, you know, like if you're not happy with the one that this one printer gave you, you have to keep looking. You know, it has to be what you want it to be. You don't go through all this work and settle for second best, right? So I went through all that. And then once I got the quote for doing a small number of books, because I also looked up to looked into getting them done in China, right? And at the time, like with COVID in full tilt, everyone's in lockdown. I'm like, I'm not getting them ordered in China. Can you imagine the nightmare with customs? Not to mention all the people here locally are losing their jobs. And like, no, I want to do something that, first of all, doesn't have such a huge ecological footprint. Not to mention, like, I want to support people if I can nearby. So... Uh, But then I looked at how much the ones in China cost and they were literally like cents per copy. So the printer I got in Montreal, they were wonderful to work with. But any any time you get less than a thousand or even less than 300 or so of an item, um, the cost per unit shoots up. So all of a sudden, this dream of making the journals was almost just not possible because my first quote to even get 100 of them made was well over five thousand dollars. I'm like, I don't have that kind of money to like, and this was supposed to be like a passion project. You know, I'm working for myself here. It would have been so easy to just like, eh, no, it's too expensive. I'm not going to do it. And then my mentor, she, she mentioned what about crowdsourcing, like, you know, funding. And um, I'm like, I guess I could try, you know, but it seemed like such a far fetched idea. Like I, I really didn't see it going anywhere, you know, because I had to ask for so much money because the final quote was almost $10,000. And I'm like, books cost so much money. Um, so I started the Kickstarter and I, I followed, they have a really good, um, guide on Kickstarter. Like if you've never done a Kickstarter before, basically like if, if you're just hearing this for the first time about Kickstarter and it's kind of like, you have an idea and you're trying to sell people on it. And then they give you money and then they hope that you give them a product in return, but you have to sell them on this idea and hope that they're convinced that it's worth their money. And not to mention that they might not get it for a very long time, right? So Mm -hmm. they recommended you make a video and like, I did some branding. Thank goodness. I, I have done logo work before and like all of my skills came to play in this. So I had to learn how to make some video stuff and I just poured my my heart out on this video and I'm just like okay I want to make a sustainable journal that's high quality and locally made and you know and then to try to see, like, sweeten the deal I had some local artists make some stuff um, with my art on it like I got fabric printed with my paintings and I had them sewn by hand I tried to make it as like close to home as possible and um and I think Well, it did really well, but I also knew that with Kickstarter, if you don't meet your goal, they don't give you any of the money. So if I put it to my actual goal of like eight and a half, ten thousand $10,000, you know, with taxes and all this stuff, there's no way, like I was just convinced it would not, I would not make that much. So what I did was I, I saved up on my own more than half of it. And then the rest of it, I tried to make up with the extras that I could make. Uh, low cost to me, like stickers and the template booklet, stuff that I could do relatively low cost. It would cost me time, but it would uh, produce value for the person looking at the project and wanting to buy these things. Um, And I made the Kickstarter goal very low. I made it $1,000 instead of the actual amount that I needed. And, um, but I didn't tell, okay, now you all know, Okay, but <laughs> whatever, but like, that's the thing, like, cause if you don't make all the money, then all that work is for nothing. And Kickstarter doesn't give it you any of the money. And then it's like, okay, well, what did I do that for? And I just felt like it was such an unrealistic goal to ask for such a high amount. So I made it a low amount. I included tons of perks and it, I got my goal of a thousand dollars within the hour of launching it. And I was just, I was floored. I was just so grateful and relieved.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Would you do it It again?
1: Yeah, totally. I think, but I think, um, because with Kickstarter, I remember like Jake had mentioned it too. They don't sell your product for you. In fact, the only people who contacted me through Kickstarter were kind of like bots, you know, people trying to, they see that I've met my goal. And they're like hey would you like some sales help but it was very much a generic letter so kickstarter is just to think of it as an app it's not gonna help you do anything it's not it's not a marketing guy it's not you know they're not gonna sell anything for you um so the only reason i might not do it again is that i might i may have exhausted my my uh, my network (laughs) so i feel like i pushed it so hard to my friends and family um, like, are you, do you need a journal? Do you need a journal? <laughs> do you know anyone who might want a journal? Um, that kind of thing. So I feel like maybe they wouldn't buy another one. I don't really know. I might use Kickstarter again for a different project now that I know how it works. Right. Um, but I don't know if I would use it for the same thing again, because I feel like um, it would have to be something pretty different for me to hit that amount of success twice in a row.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's really a sales funnel. It the, there's no yeah. marketing component to it, right? I, no,
1: it's I, like having a shop online. Yeah, you know, Etsy doesn't market for you either. Well, well Etsy a little bit, but
0: yeah, I mean, Etsy is a bit different because you're buying into a platform. But you know, mm-hmm. I just I just opened my own Shopify store. I have no, like, I'm not in a shop of any sort. So it's just the people I know, the people that follow me, exactly that, that end up there. What I think is mm-hmm. interesting is, and a, a few people talk about this, is hiring yourself to do a project and i think that's yeah. what this mentor probably did most for you is convince yeah. you that you're a a worthy and important customer instead of you doing all this work you've done for the rest you know for your life for everybody else that maybe you need to convince yourself that you're a worthy <laughs> customer and in in yeah. doing this and i think that's kind of cool i and people can buy this like so this journal is available and there's it sure
1: is i have <laughs> hundreds in my basement and they are uh they're beautiful and people are using them. That's like the big thing right now. I've I spent all of January with, um, promoting the journal because it's a good time of the year. People are making resolutions. They're starting, you know, a lot of people kickstart new, um, hobbies, especially during isolation. The, the journaling has really helped me with my, uh, my mental health really, you know, and staying, um, focused and like keeping my life balanced and that kind of thing. And, um, but yeah, the journals are available in my shop, and I've been right. So I've been um, promoting them on Twitch because it's the best way to see them is to actually see them in action, right? So right. I've been streaming and showing people how they can use it and how I use it. It's mostly how I use it because I feel like at first it feels really fake to be I don't like showing things for the sake of them being sold. Like I feel like the best way to sell them really is just like, well, this is my journal. And I use it every day. And this is what I did today. And I check off my little boxes and I spend nice, you know, I spend some time decorating it and it's very meditative and I'm not doing it for anyone else. It's for me, you know? So I think that really helped um, uh, as far as like connecting with other people about the journal. And I know other people who have really been able to benefit from that practice. And um, it's become really important. It's always been really important in my life, but I never thought that I'd be able to share it with anyone. And just recently just sharing it with people and having it available uh has really changed how how I use it but at the same time just sharing it with others like I find it really fulfilling and it's nice to be able to talk about it with other people whereas before my journaling practice was a very it was a very personal thing but it wasn't you know private it was just like oh that's just my journal you know but then some people would see it and they would see all the work I put into it and they're like oh my gosh I could never do that I'm like well yeah you could and and I show you. You know, I can show you. <laughs> it's <laughs> right. really easy and it's fun.
0: How much of an impact do you think Twitch has had on your career to date?
1: Well, I think it's definitely more for me. So I I don't know how much. I feel like um, my art career so far, the biggest items were just the shows. So like that's Twitch hasn't had a huge part um, in my art career as far as selling paintings you know, because people on Twitch or a lot of them are from the States or the, some of them might be local, but you don't sell original paintings on Twitch. <laughs> I mean, you might, but it's pretty rare, you know, I'd say though, with my own, it helps as a freelancer, we're, you know, as freelancers, you're by yourself, you know, you don't have co-workers, you don't have an office to go to every day, you don't have the chats at the coffee, you know, in the coffee lounge or whatever, you know, so There's this isolation that happens as a freelancer where no one is dictating your time. You might have some deadlines, but you might not. You might not have any projects, right? So Twitch has always given me this sense of stability and obligation in a good way, but also like uh, productivity because I have to put my phone away, right? I don't have distractions. I'm on. Whether or not anyone is there, someone might be watching, even if they're not chatting. And I've, I spend a lot of time on the other side where I'm watching other people and I analyze their behavior and I see what they're doing and I'm not stalking them, (laughs) (laughs) but, you know, but seeing what works and what doesn't work. And on Twitch, you have to pretend it's like when you're at an office and the boss is walking by, right? Like not that you weren't working, but maybe you might be working a little harder now that someone's watching, right? So there's that element of being watched, but... Um, observed, but also feeling like well, I'm I have to stream tomorrow, so what am I gonna make? you know And whereas if I wasn't streaming, like I had two years uh, two or three years of a break because I had a big contract with a uh, big contract. There was a job I was working with um, a friend of mine and I was doing web Dev and it wasn't very interesting to stream, right? So I was doing a little bit of um, print print editing, like magazine work and some web dev. And it's not the kind of thing you want to stream, plus it's client work and it's not shared. So I stopped streaming for about two years or so while I was working with her. And then I came back to it because I just missed it. And also we went into lockdown and it was kind of like, I don't even see my regular friend. I'm not seeing anyone right now, right? It's just me and my kids and my husband and like maybe my parents once in a while. And I started to feel a huge void of like, I miss art battle, I miss shows, I miss people, I miss just chatting about silly things, you know, so Twitch kind of came in and a lot of people are getting it, are, are starting to stream now and it's becoming more, um, more popular, which is wonderful because I think people really need that interaction. Um, but it was really uh, the sense of community that I, the community and productivity. So it gives me a reason to create on a regular basis because people are showing up. Um, but it also provides that feedback where I now have a lot of friends on Twitch and I follow their streams and they follow mine. And it's this reciprocal. It's a community. It really is. So I would say it's done a lot for my career in um, far that it has contributed to my mental health and well-being as an artist and as an individual, you know, and being part of something bigger and not feeling like I'm creating in a vacuum.
0: Do you do this on a regular basis? You have a set schedule so people know when to find you?
1: Yeah, for sure. I think um, the best streams I've realized, the most successful ones have schedules, and they treat it like a job. I stream Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., and Sundays I just started doing a journaling stream on Sundays uh, from 2 till 5 p.m. And the regular schedule, at first is really hard for some people to try because they if they're new to Twitch and they just try it once or twice and um, they just do it whenever they can, you know, and, but really you have to think of it like a job. And even if you're, I don't get paid from Twitch, I get some subscriptions here and there, but I actually have never seen any money from it. There's a interesting system of the affiliate program that I'm in that I think you have to make over a hundred dollars a year to see a check or something like that. It's definitely not, I don't make money from streaming. And some people ask like, oh, are you getting paid to do it? And I'm like, no, but it's it's the community and I'm working on stuff that could contribute to my body of work, you know, which will get paid. And it's great practice too, just for teaching and for getting um, an audience. And like, I don't know, it pays it pays in other ways, you know? Right. And I think having that regular schedule helps you take it seriously and helps other people take you seriously as well. Because like now, like say if I go, To the dentist or something, and I they ask when I want to make an appointment. And I used to not take my own work seriously. I used to very much say, "Well, I'm a stay-at-home mom, and I make art sometimes." But now, instead, I say, "Well, no, I'm working from ten to two Tuesdays and Thursdays. I can't have an appointment then, and I make it a priority. And as soon as other people see that you're making it a priority, then they will make you a priority as well."
0: Right, good point. So I have a question for you, just around COVID and all of this. Uh, You know, a lot of people are doing stuff online. We're doing this online. We could do it in person. Uh, if it wasn't COVID times, people are doing Zoom courses and Skillshare and all this other stuff. It it existed before COVID. And a lot of people are doing Twitch, uh, either sharing or consuming Twitch. Do you think that there's going to be an impact when things, maybe in 2022, when it becomes a little bit back to normal, where people are craving the interaction? Do you think that's going to have an impact to things like Twitch, where people are going to be like... You know, I really like Twitch, but I want to go outside today. Or I want to see people in person. <laughs>
1: um I don't think it'll ever go away. Um I think that the the newer people who may have drifted onto Twitch as a means for community and connection might drift back out again, but there has always been um a pretty regular consistent uh number of artists and streamers who have always been on there. I don't think it'll ever go away. I think it might um, experience a bit of a lull at first as we all explore our outdoors again and see real fresh air and people. Mm-hmm. But a, a lot of the, the people who watch streams are watching it um, kind of like when someone would watch TV or a movie or enjoy a documentary or they might enjoy a phone call with a friend and the Twitch kind of not replaces that, but it exists in the same realm of, of community and interacting. And also with mobile devices, I can also stream like outside. I could stream a mural. I could stream, you know, like, so it's more, I don't think COVID uh, will affect like once things are, you know, back to normal, you know, as much as they can be, I don't think, um, I don't think it'll disappear by any means. No.
0: And so I wanted to get into the teaching that you do and Patreon. Yeah. And at what point did you transition to teaching people what you know? And how's that been? Because I saw you were, where was it? It was on maybe Instagram you had shown, or no, you had had sent an image to me of of a progress shot that you were working on Mm -hmm. for some of your uh, uh, teaching you were doing. So like, is that a Patreon only thing that you do the teaching or is that... um,
1: Teaching is fairly, I don't know. Like I've always um, loved sharing what I do with other people and I don't feel like it's ever been something I, I hoard, you know, like my artistic skill or whatever. Um, so I used to teach arts and crafts at a summer camp every year for like five or six years, maybe more. And I really, I really love teaching. And it's one of those things where I have never really done it officially I didn't go to teacher's college because a friend of mine who is a teacher had spent 10 years trying to get into a teaching position and said, you know what, like you can try Like, you know, you get your teacher's degree. I don't even know. (laughs) You get your education degree and um, go to teacher's college and all this stuff. And then you can teach in elementary schools or high school or something. And I asked like what the, I really wanted to know because I would, I always had that dream of like, having a high school art class, you know, and being that cool teacher that had inspired me when I was that age, you know? So, and I've just heard more than once saying, don't bother because the system is really not catering to that. Like art teachers are kind of also gym teachers or kind of also science teachers, you know? Like, so you might get a few teachables and then be forced to teach a whole bunch of things. So I never went the traditional route as far as sharing my knowledge. I, um once I started I did the arts and crafts teaching and stuff, but that was a bit different. And then I started doing um, like paint night style stuff. I'm not a paint night teacher. I don't work for that company or whatever company owns it now. But I did do step-by-step painting classes for friends and family a few years ago. And I bought all the supplies and I had a really good friend kind of show me the ropes because she did it privately too, like private paint parties. Mm -hmm. And she would lend me some of her easels and I did a few gigs for, you know, at home for friends. And I did some step by step paintings. And I said, you know, this is really fun. Like, I really loved that. It was a lot like streaming, I felt, but it was in person and I can direct their stuff and I could, you know, like show them. And they just seemed to really love it. And I got a really uh, great feeling from helping learn uh, teach other people how to paint. So... But that was non-existent once COVID hit. (laughs) So I I stopped doing that. So then I um, decided to offer the same kind of thing, like a paint night from home. And I made it on my Patreon so that if they pay, you know, two bucks a month, they can sit in and um, paint from home. And obviously it's to very little cost to me. If I teach 200 people or two people, it's the same amount of effort for me, you know. Mm -hmm. And I really enjoyed that. So that I do once a month. I try to pick like um, a simple image that I can break down in two hours, you know, and I'd lead them step by step through it. And then I started advertising those. Um, again, my mentor helped me a lot in putting that together back in June when I got my Patreon started. And another friend saw that I was doing that and had a job opportunity come up through Algonquin College. And um, they asked me if I could do a a portrait painting class in acrylics and oils. And that only started three weeks ago. And that's totally different. That's over Zoom. Wow. And, but it's for a real college. And I was kind of like, wow, okay. um, That's terrifying. I don't even paint portraits. I guess (laughs) I should learn how to paint portraits. (laughs) So that's, uh, yeah, those are the two avenues of teaching. So there's the, the Patreon paint alongs, like the paint night with Kina kind of thing. Although I can't say paint night because it's copyrighted or whatever. I say paint party or, whatever. And that's monthly. And then there's the Algonquin painting classes, which I've just just barely started. So.
0: So having watched, you know, like Andy's Skillshare and that, do you feel compelled to do a Skillshare at some point?
1: Very much so. Actually, it's on my little in my notes here. Um, I really want to uh, to put together some workshops. Um, Also, I had some ideas from another local artist here in Ottawa and she was really saying, you know, you should do something with the journals like in Skillshare. And I was looking, you know, if you look up art class or painting class in Skillshare, there might be like 600 to thousand results. Like it's, it's pretty saturated with art, right? There are a lot of people looking um, to substitute an art education degree and use Skillshare. Like there are so many options on there. Um, And then when I looked into journaling, there are only maybe like 65 to 70, uh, you know, results that come back with bullet journaling. And I was like, Oh, okay. There might be something, you know, it may not be completely saturated. And I have had a lot of people ask like, well, how do you set up your journal and what do you put in it? And how do you make the month spread? And like, I do have templates and resources available, but to have a step-by-step class might be, um, I think it could be really beneficial for some people as far as painting over Skillshare. I'm not really sure. Um, I could probably do something like that. I, I, there are so many good resources out there on YouTube and even just like Proko art and stuff. And like, there are so many amazing artists out there already giving such great fundamentals in art that I feel like I would need to come at it from a different angle. So I'm trying to brand myself as acrylic painter for beginners teacher, you know, because acrylics are what I'm most familiar with. And I right. feel like acrylics are a stepping stone to oil paints for a lot of people. So I feel like if you can master acrylics, and you're already kind of good at drawing and i i could teach i can teach you how to do acrylics for beginners but i don't feel like i am quite not qualified but i feel like it's such a saturated market to be a painting teacher online right. i feel like you need some kind of edge or something yeah. I, you know i don't really know what i could offer so right now i'm thinking the beginner i'm really really good with teaching people from the absolute Start. I have a lot of experience with teaching children, and not that teaching adults is like teaching children, but you have to have a child's mindset when you're starting something for the first time. Right. And I feel like being a mother as well helps me with that. I, you know, have a lot of patience for some for art. Anyway, I'm <laughs> not gonna say I'm. A, I have no patience for homeschooling. <laughs> oh my goodness! But that's a totally different thing. I feel like I I would have to do I would have to pick something because. With Skillshare um, and YouTube in general, teaching online, there's so much already out there, right? But I, I would like to do something if it would ring true with what I'm good at.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the, the journals are really good idea. Like, you know, going through and setting that up, there are like I, I've, I've been into that to some degree myself, and you know, I've got a um, uh, some journals behind me, but being seeing somebody go through that and set it up is always very helpful. So I think that would be great. I think. I don't know if there are uh, skillshare tutorials around uh doing murals in somebody's bedroom. Um
1: That's true. I didn't think of that.
0: That would be right. that uh could be cool. an interesting exercise, like you know, using a projector, yeah. dealing with your grid, understanding what's the impact here is you know, what's involved.
1: I'm write this down. Do <laughs> 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 you see a Skillshare on mural pop up then.
0: I don't know if there'd be many, <laughs> but I mean if you're looking for a niche, that's uh that's one that you've done some amazing work in, right? And you've got some documentation to be able to show people if they, if they come in and they're like, well, who's this person, right? Um, Fair enough. So that, that's kind of cool. I think what I really like about you is that you've diversified your income streams. You've, you've, you've looked beyond this is the only thing I do. And mm-hmm. I think that's wonderful. And you know, I'm going to include a link to your site so that people can uh, get access to the journal, and everything else that you've worked on. uh, Well, I mean, I'll also include a link to your Instagram and to your Twitch and all of that. I wanted to get to the point of asking you about uh, homework. Yeah. And, you know, for the, I always ask my guests this, a little bit of homework, a little bit of a challenge, somebody be able to listen to this episode and think, okay, I want to be able to action something here. What would you propose as homework?
1: Well, I thought a lot about this. (laughs) (laughs) um also listening to your other guests and what they came up with and I'm like oh man I don't know if I could come up with something cooler than that <laughs> anyway I found the thing that would that suited me best really is because I have my hands in so many different mediums and I think that like people need to try that more often and they need to not be scared of trying something different and so I said for homework your assignment <laughs> is to do something you would normally do so if you're an artist if you're drawing if you're a painter you're painting but in a new medium so try to do what you normally do such as drawing but do it on something you wouldn't normally draw on so make a sketch using collage or paint on paper in the book instead of canvas get like buy an old used book that no one's gonna read but paint every page on the inside or Draw digitally if you're normally a digital artist. Try drawing digitally over a photograph or a scene of something real. Or, let's see, sculpt if you're not used to sculpting. I love sewing fabric into paper, you know, just mixing stuff. And I feel like once you start um, realizing that there are no real boundaries between media, like for you can make art with anything, <laughs> you know? And I, like, I've done ceramics, I've done you know printmaking and screen the silk screening and video stuff and really what the one common thread is is you right and like that's what you should think and if you're ever stuck and one reason i love having so many different projects like painting and drawing and the journals and whatever is that if you get bored of something you can just pick up something else you know and it's still art and you don't have to feel like you're not you know you can still be creative Mm -hmm. um If you, you know, you just pick up something and you might, you might learn something new. You might realize, wait, I really love wax crayons on canvas couches. I don't know. You might (laughs) figure something out. Try painting, you know, not, it's not the end of the world. If you paint something in your house, like I have a bunch of different corners in my house that have, you know, I might have painted over the canvas and I paint a little doodle on the wall and now it's just part of the wall. And like, that kind of is what led me to murals, right? Is like, you can just paint on a wall. Nothing's stopping you from making your wall into a canvas. So I challenge you to do that, to paint or draw or make something using a different medium um, and try to try to do a mashup or something, you know? Try something new.
0: That's a good idea. I'm going to have to try that. I don't get a chance to <laughs> make do... Make a mess. Make a mess. I don't get a chance to try all the homework that uh, my guests proposed, but I'm going to try that one. Um, Excellent. And that, that, that'll be fun. I'm going to have to because I, I keep thinking I need to Especially when it comes to drawing that, you know, I've thought about maybe I should, maybe I should draw something on wood or, you know, like just yeah. be a little bit different about it. So I'll have to I do think
1: that. your stuff would look gorgeous on like, if you did, like, if you got an old book on animals, like ornithology or like other like, old books are so beautiful to work with. And I've torn them up. And put them in collages. I have a giant canvas somewhere behind me of like, well, you can't see it, but um, where I keep all of my paper trash. that's, you know clean, obviously, right. but like, you know, like, like tea bags and like I have entire, you know, just paper scraps. And that added texture and the and the unfamiliarness of it and like, I don't know, it just adds something extra to a drawing. You know, it gives it a, t- a, t- a sense of depth. And even meaning like, okay, so now I have, I also have a sketchbook that's filled with a bunch of scraps, um, from my desk or old papers or receipts. And like, I, you can get, um, uh, matte gesso and you can just put it in a sketchbook and then you have a new background and it might inspire you to draw something that you may not have drawn. Otherwise, you know, on a, just a blank page, because sometimes the blank page can be really intimidating. And that way, even if you don't draw anything on that cool page of collage, you can just leave it. It's still cool. Right. I'll have to
0: do that. I'm going to have to try yeah. that. So I, I have a, I'm I've a, mindful of time, uh, but I wanted to ask you, can you recall kind of what's the best advice you've ever received?
1: Actually, I recently started seeing a life coach. And although she's not an artist, it's probably the best decision I've made for myself, like my creative self. Because, yeah, the best advice really is like to give yourself space and time to... To be just you you know and it might sound cliche or silly but like especially as a freelance artist you might always be concerned go 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 make 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 you know like you have to always be productive because it's not a regular job and like you might need to work 80 hours a week instead of normal people working normal people where you know full-timers working 40 and like you have to put in so much extra effort To to make a buck or to get seen and you have to be your marketer, an accountant, a business person, you have to be all these, wear all these different hats. Sometimes you kind of forget why you were doing it, you know, and it's it's hard to make stuff for nobody but yourself. So I think the best advice really is to not forget why you started doing it in the first place and to remember that it should bring you joy and it should bring you back to yourself because otherwise the, the work you do will be empty, you know, and it won't be able to feed anyone else let alone yourself you know so i'm really just self-care is something i'm still learning it's hard to learn right especially you know as a mom and you know mom wife daughter homeowner freelance whatever you know there's so many different jobs um sometimes you forget to be just you so Mm. i'm still trying to learn that (laughs) that's good it's a hard one that's
0: good Uh, you bring up some really good points you do get uh You know, you feel like you always have to be uh, producing, right? You always have to be pushing. And sometimes it's, um, you know, it's, it's, you got to put the oxygen mask on first before you can help others. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. So I have another question for you. I don't ask this of all the guests, but I I think this would be an interesting, I want to hear what you're going to say to this. So Hmm. if you had a chance to have lunch with a fictional person, who would it be and why? I kind of caught you uh, off guard on this one. <laughs> you did, you
1: did. Because I wasn't thinking about, uh, I mean, I could probably think of a better one if I had like overnight to think about right. it. Right. But I just finished, um, I read a lot and uh, like science fiction or self-help, everything from <laughs> one to the other. Um, and a character I'm really fixated on as well as uh, I guess the rest of my family too would be Ender um, Wiggin. From, from Ender's Game. Okay, and mostly because he has so many different stages of his life, and they're all so different. And I had, you know, and I'm just rereading the books again. And um, I spe- and the last time I read the book, the Ender's Game, the first one, mm-hmm. anyway, I hadn't had children yet. And now that I've had children, I almost there are so many things I want I would want to talk to him about, and like just because the way hard with the way he writes the books the the children just sound so mature right you know because he's well they are you know obviously these like genius children yeah. but like even just that I'm like I want to talk to to see what kind of person he would have been in in real life and like as a child you know right anyway yeah that's, that's
0: <laughs> cool. and uh you know I saw you post uh we get a quick exchange about the expanse and oh my gosh uh, you, I love that show so <laughs> Yeah, it's it's I, I read the first book and uh I have the other two behind me. I haven't gotten into them yet, but mm-hmm. um I wanted to ask you, do you think there's a chance we're gonna see some Expanse stuff in your art popping in?
1: Oh well, I already have one. Oh <laughs> do you? <laughs> oh, have I not shown it to you yet? Yes. Okay. You will see some very soon. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Because it's a wonderful mix of I didn't talk about it much, but with my paintings, like I'm still super into the space stuff. Mm-hmm. But I've been really itching to do more figurative work and now when I got hired to do this portrait class I'm just like this is my chance to learn how to I don't know how to do portraits but I'm going to teach them somehow but I'm doing all of my students homework I'm giving them the homework that I need right so I'm doing it alongside them so I want to put people into my paintings and like what better opportunity a show with amazing characters who are all attractive looking in space, which I love painting, and I'm just like, oh, okay, I gotta do something. Know,
0: that'll be fun. That'll be <laughs> yeah, fun. Yeah, I'm
1: excited. That's fan art I can get behind, okay. for sure. So
0: we'll have to we'll have to watch your that'll be you'll probably do some of that on Twitch. You would post it on Instagram, that's where people can find it. And yeah, up. I
1: already started the first one on Twitch, so it would already okay. be there now. I did uh, one of the characters I'm doing a portrait study on. Okay.
0: So that could... I'm not gonna tell you who. <laughs> you'll, have <laughs> you'll, you'll have to go check to go it. Find out. it. <laughs> So let's go through where people can find you. So obviously you're on Twitch. I'll include a link to your uh, Twitch channel Mm -hmm. and on Instagram. Mm -hmm. You're uh, Kina Inc. on Instagram. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. K-I-N-A-I-N-K.
0: Yeah. And uh, you have a website, which I'll link to as well, where people can browse your journal. You talk about that story, which is courageous of you. And (laughs) uh, people can buy the journal and the templates and all of that there and do you have a you said you have a youtube as well
1: for youtube it's kina forney
0: okay okay i'll i'll include a link to your uh to your youtube in there as well would it be safe to say that you're most active on twitch and instagram
1: that's right yeah and uh most of my youtube content is um like kind of cross put you know like i'll put something on patreon first okay kind of and then uh yeah youtube it's a work in progress okay
0: and I'll also include a it link is. to your Patreon because that'll be important too for people want to. Yes. Uh, so that that two hour uh, class that's every month. So if people wanted to join Patreon.
1: Yes, I have a. There are a few ways to join. So on my website there is an events section on my website, okay. and I will list whatever event is upcoming. Um, and I do have one a minimum of one a month so far. I would like to get more of them going, but for now. It's one a month, and it's fifteen bucks to join in and paint with us live. Or if you're a subscriber on Patreon, then it's included with the subscription. So anyone is welcome to join. Okay. They don't have to be a patron, but um, it's obviously a better investment or whatever. Um, you get more out of it if you're doing it through Patreon.
0: Is it a Zoom call, or is like everybody sharing their video? That's how it works. Yes, it's okay.
1: Zoom. Yeah, you can. They all have the option to share, um, but yeah, it's over Zoom.
0: That's awesome. Well, thank you, Kina. I was uh, really looking forward to this. I this was a great chat. Uh, it's so you're so diverse in what you're doing, and you're still kind of young in your career. I think you're gonna do amazing things. Uh, you've done so much so far, and I'm really impressed with you. And uh, you've inspired me to kind of think about what I'm going to do um, <laughs> much later in my life, <laughs> starting in art career. And uh, I just want to thank you for being an inspiration for so many of us and, uh, for sharing. Everything that you do through, uh, through Twitch and through Instagram, it's been awesome. So thank you so well, much.
1: Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to talk. Thank you.
0: That's cool. All right. Well, yeah. thanks. And uh, wishing you all the best. And we'll include, I'll include everything in the show notes, all the links. People can check you out and uh, be sure to do their homework as well. well. Thanks, Kina. Awesome. All right. Thank you. Have a good one. Yeah, you too. Okay, bye. Show notes, including everything Keena and I spoke about, can be found at drawinginspiration.fm slash 46. And don't forget the Elegant Utility promo, which is $5 off the regular pencil companion hex, and the promo code to use is MIKEPODCAST, no spaces, and that's available till February 20th. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe to my monthly newsletter, Drawing Connections, to keep up to date with everything I talk about on the show and everything I'm doing creatively. So just a reminder, if you rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts, it will help to surface that podcast for others to enjoy. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Be kind to one another and keep drawing. Theme music for this podcast is Acid Jazz, provided by Kevin McLeod.